You can turn your Bibles to James chapter 3. That's where we'll be this morning. Adam's been leading us through Revelation. It's been a, a great study, and we'll continue back in that. I think we'll begin back in Revelation chapter 7 um, when we meet again. But this morning we'll go away from that just for a little bit and look at James. <clears throat> I don't think we've preached from the book of James yet um, here at Redeemer. It's a, a different type of letter than we're used to seeing with Paul. With Paul, you have uh, letters normally to a very specific audience. They are addressing a specific occasion, something going on. And so you can get Paul's heart as you think of, okay, this church, historically, what are they going through? What is he pointing at? James works a little differently in that it's categorized in our Bible as one of the general epistles. And just that the audience is more general, the occasion for what it, which is being rent, written is more general. So there's undoubtedly some specific things in James' mind he's wanting to address. But it's delivered uh, a little differently. Some people compare it to wisdom literature. If you're to read the Proverbs, you'll start to see a lot of similarities between James and the Proverbs as he delivers um, his message. Some people see it as that with James, as a sermon. That it's, it's much more uh, sermonic in the way he's bringing it about. One of the things we had to do in um, seminary is you you outline and diagram larger passages of Scripture. And James is one of those books, letters, that's almost impossible to outline. If you've been in the Romans 8 class, you've seen how Paul works very logically. You know, he makes a statement. And then after that, he goes, and this happened because, and makes another statement. In order that, and makes another statement. And, you know, before long, you have four chapters, and you finally reach your conclusion to his statement back here. Real logical flow, and he presents an argument Whereas James isn't speaking haphazardly, isn't just throwing out thoughts, but it doesn't quite flow the same way. So that's kind of the the letter we get from James. And as James starts in chapter 1, he'll work his way through. And we come to James 1, verse 22, we see a verse that says, to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. We give you those verse cards every week, and it's not just so we have something else to give you. It's so when you hear the message, we pick a verse we feel kind of captures the truth of the sermon, and then you can take it and keep it in front of your face, keep it in in front of your eyes, plant it in your heart so that you become doers of the word and not just hearers only. And that's what James is saying. And as he goes through chapter 1, by the time he reaches the end, he is bearing upon you that this book is intensely practical, and he is calling you to practical obedience, to action-taking obedience. So the time you get to the end of chapter 1, he's laid out for you that faith without works is dead. Don't be hearers of the word. We are doers of the word. That's who we are, word doers as followers of Christ. And so when he gets to 1, chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, he says this. He says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You remember when we preached from Galatians, oh, it's maybe been two months ago now, and we started with the question, what does it mean to be spiritual? And you kind of get all these ideas in your mind. Culture today would give us a variety of ideas of what it means to be a spiritual person. In Galatians, Paul boils it down to this. Bear one another's burdens. 
that you love without partiality. And it takes this thought and boils it down to a very practical but very hard thing to live out, and that is to bear one another's burdens. Here, James is going to do the same thing. What does it mean to be religious? And you probably have all kinds of things come to your mind. Oftentimes, we think of religion in a negative sense, in that it's all kind of form, it's all outward, it's all doing, it's pharisaical. And we don't like religion, we like Jesus. Here, it's not painting that in a negative sense. Religion is not being painted in a negative sense. It is a Christ follower. It is one who has faith. So is your faith, is your following Christ genuine? And there's a lot of things you could think of. Okay, what does it mean to be a religious person? What does that look like? And James basically boils it down here at the end of chapter 1 to three things. Bridle your tongue. Care for the helpless. Be unstained from the world. And then he's going to go out through the rest of James and develop each of these a little more thoroughly, a little more intensely. And we're going to look in James chapter 3 specifically at the tongue. But we're doing it in the context of this. Boiling it all down real practically. And if your tongue is out of control, your religion is worthless. That's what he says. It's in vain. Just... I'm sure you know this, but when we say tongue, we're speaking of communication, we're talking of speech, what comes out of your mouth. So I'll probably use tongue, communication, all that interchangeably, but uh, just so you're aware of that as we get into it. We'll just walk through this passage. There's four main truths we want to see, and then we'll take some time to apply it. The first thing that we're going to see in chapter 3 is that controlling the tongue is central to authentic Christian living. Controlling the tongue is central to authentic Christian living. I mean, we see this a few different ways. We saw it in chapter 1, verse 26, as it sets it up for us. He says you want to have genuine, worthwhile Christian living, religion in your life. Here's where it starts. Control your tongue. Man, it doesn't get much more central than that. As we come to our text in chapter 3, I'll read the first two verses. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. The context, the early church, there's certain men who by God's anointing are rising up to be leaders in the early church, centerpieces for that church, the teachers, the pastors. And undoubtedly there was maybe some jealousy or at least some desire, whether good or bad, to raise to that position, to be a teacher and a leader among that. And James is just warning us that, you know, be careful with that desire. There's an accountability that teachers are held to mainly because they're using their tongues, their communication all the time, and they're going to be held accountable for that. We see in Scripture that the teacher, the preacher, is accountable for his heart. He's accountable for those who hear them. By his words, he saves his own heart and those who hear him. There's a high accountability. So I quickly stop there and make a plea that you pray for Adam. Pray for Todd and myself as, as we would Seek by God's grace to lead the church in a way that is honoring to him. (laughs) You would pray for us. There's a high accountability in that. But then he goes on in verse 2. He says, 
We all stumble in many ways. All right? I think we all know that. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And he's putting it there as a key central piece that, you know, once, if you can master the tongue, if you get control of the tongue, you've really mastered it. (laughs) Your whole body. Puts it as a central piece of significance. And he'll develop that and we'll see it, what it means to master the tongue, to control the tongue. But up front, he tells us it's central to authentic Christian living is that you control the tongue. And then the last point underneath of that is that it is a disproportionately influential to our other members. It is disproportionately influential to our other members. And James is going to explain that in verses 3 through 5. It says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Children are demonstrating that for us, you know? That little tongue, it's boasting of great lung power. But that's fine. It happens all the time. So we'll just keep moving here. James uses lots of illustrations. He's a good pastor. Lots of illustrations to make it simple, make it stick in our minds. You read through, he talks about the billowing sea. He talks about a withering flower. He talks about this bit in the horse's mouth. He talks about a fire that burns out of control. He talks about the ship and the rudder. He'll talk about an arrogant businessman. What are some others? Corroded metal, moth-eaten clothes. Lots of visual imagery and illustrations that makes really sink in what he's saying here. So he's saying the tongue, it's, it's a small member, but it is disproportionately influential. All right, you look at this horse, a powerful animal in their day that immediately resonates with them. And that little bit in the horse's mouth guides and controls everything that animal is going to do, where it's going, how fast it's going. Moves back to a ship. Again, another um, image that would have been very clear to them. This huge ship, and look how he describes this big ship in the midst of powerful winds and storms, in the midst of this sea. So this huge vessel fighting strong winds, fighting the strong current, and this little rudder in the back drives the ship in the direction by the will of the pilot. It controls this whole big ship where it's going. And then you see in verse 5, he makes the connection. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. It's not talking about bragging there. It's just saying the tongue rightfully can claim a lot of power and influence. Tongue is a small member. It's disproportionately influential among everything else. You think about the influence of the tongue. I mean, we can see this in history. I enjoy history, reading biographies, things like that. Reading about the World War um, II and the power of the tongue. Hitler was a master of language. By his tongue, he roused his nation, roused thousands and millions of people to rise up, to follow his command, to create these huge atrocities. It started with his speech, with his communication. On the other hand, you have Winston Churchill, one of the 
great leaders during that time who would lead the defense against uh, these forces. And he has this speech, which is kind of famous, and he talks about rousing his soldiers, and then they take it and use it kind of as propaganda for the nations to really rouse them up as they head to war. And here's the phrase he ends with. He says, We gave the choice between honor and war, speaking to um, the communists. We gave the choice between honor and war. You chose dishonor. You shall have war. You know, after reading the biography, you get to that point, I'm like, you know, I'm ready to join the British Army and like, let's do this thing. The whole world is thrown into war. And there's other things behind it, but by the tongue, (laughs) by communication, thrown into war. You know it in your own life, whether for good or for bad, certain things people have said, a simple word communicated that whether for positive or negative, just lodges in your heart, lodges in your mind and stays there. It can change your life. It can change the way you think, for whether for good or for bad. Before we move on, just application as we think about it, that if the tongue is so disproportionately influential in our lives, let's give it a disproportional amount of attention and care and prayer and concern and training. That we're not loose with our tongues. So James continues. So he sets a stage for us right there. It's incredibly powerful. It's central in our sanctification and authentic Christian living. Its influence is great. And now he narrows it down a little bit. And he's going to tell you that it's a negative influence. Point two is that the tongue has potential to do devastating harm. Tongue has the potential to do devastating harm. Verse 5, in the middle of verse 5, he says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. If you've ever been in the Pacific Midwest, I know some people have been out there, and you see maybe the redwoods or those huge forests, and you think of those massive trees and how huge and how beautiful they are and the years and years it takes for those to grow and just a forest of those, you know, in one loose little match flicked out and fire just spreads. I spent a summer in Colorado when I was in college and um, there was all kinds of forest fires, you know, in different states around Colorado. And that whole summer there was just kind of this fog, this cloud of smoke that sort of hung over the city. You could hardly even see the mountains from the city, which I guess normally is beautiful. And, you know, it all started with, traced it back to one simple camper. And then James immediately connects it. He doesn't leave you guessing. Verse 6, and the tongue is a fire. It can destroy what takes years and years to build up. It can wipe out great beauty one little loose word, one loose tongue can wipe out. He borrows that from Proverbs, Proverbs sixteen twenty seven, Talks about the tongue being a scorching fire. Then he goes on, the tongue's a fire, a world of unrighteousness. World of unrighteousness. What's he talking about there? Building on what we've seen. The tongue is so central and influential in who we are in expressing who we are. 
And he's saying it's a world of unrighteousness, that the tongue becomes that member that expresses all forms of unrighteousness in us. Okay, what does that mean? Think through the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not murder. All right, you're good there, right? You haven't murdered. But your tongue has spoken hateful, harmful things. It becomes the instrument through what murder works in your heart. Thou shalt not steal, but yet you envy, you're jealous. You say things out of envy, out of jealousy that steal others' joy, that steals others' peace. And now theft finds its root in your heart and expressed through your tongue. And you go through that way that you think maybe I can check all these off, that I'm not this, I'm not that. And it's saying, oh, the tongue is a fire. A whole world of unrighteousness is expressed through your tongue. John Calvin, in his commentary on James, says, such a slender portion of flesh contains the whole world of iniquity. Proverbs 8.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Listen to what Jesus himself says in Matthew 15. Flip there if you like. Just read a couple verses. Matthew 15 and verse 10, he says, And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Continuing in that thought down in verse 18, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of it comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. All of it from the heart comes pouring out of the tongue. He says it's a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. It's so central that we guard it, that we control it. It's so central to our authentic Christian living because through it is expressed a whole world of unrighteousness. Verse 6 goes on to list three things. We'll see about the tongue. First, we see that The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. It corrupts the whole body. You remember the three things James said at the beginning? The true religion is controlling your tongue, caring for the needy, the helpless, and three, keeping yourself unstained from the world. Now it's saying the tongue is central and corrupting and staining our whole body. Continue there in verse 6. Seeing the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. Proverbs 10 says, The mouth of the fool brings ruin near. It draws it in. It entices it. The tongue can wreak havoc all throughout life. You say a simple word now, and like that fire, it can spread and it can last. It can change the course of your life. It can devastate the course of your life. It can redirect relationships. It can ruin and divide families. It can split church congregations. It wrecks havoc in the entire course of your life. The small member, your communication is so influential. And then it closes there in verse um, 7, or verse 6, I'm sorry. 
setting fire the entire course of life in a set on fire by hell. It carries the potential for great evil, for great harm, harm that is characterized by the, the fire of hell, by the domain of Satan, the domain of darkness. You've heard the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And I think this would kind of flip it on top of its head, wouldn't it, a little bit? You can heal from scratches and bruises and busted fingers, but words will last. And sometimes that harm will last a lifetime. So James is coming and says, you want genuine religion, genuine Christian living in your life? If you have an uncontrolled tongue, your religion is a sham. He's going to develop that farther. We'll see in the next point why it's a sham. But it stands central to authentic Christian living. It possesses such power as potential for great harm. In verse 7, we'll see our third point. And that is that the tongue is controlled by and through the Holy Spirit alone. Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile, bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. <laughs> and he leaves little room for debate. Self-will, self-discipline isn't going to master the tongue. On your own, you can't master the tongue. He says that. It's untamable. You know, no decision, no teaching up here alone is going to change your tongue. And here's why it's true. It's because the tongue is just a conduit of the heart. What's in the heart flows out of the mouth. You can suppress all those other members. You can suppress your actions But James says, no, the world of iniquity is in the tongue. What's in the heart is going to come out of the tongue. You can't just tame that on your own and expect that an evil heart, a heart that has pride, a heart that has envy, a heart that has anger and bitterness in it, and just decide, I'm going to tame my tongue. It'll be good. No, it's going to come out. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Are we helpless then? On our own, yeah. But here's where the power lies, is that the Spirit can change your heart. And as he changes your heart, he'll change your tongue. 
So the first point, the first plea, is that it takes the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross before you can change the hurtfulness of your language. It all starts there. Romans 8, He who gave not, spared not his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give us every gift we need? So here's a promise that with Jesus Christ on the cross is promised everything you need for life and godliness, including the ability to control your tongue. But it starts with Christ's atoning work on the cross. And it started with his humility coming to earth and his obedient life that at every chance he had to spew, to say something harmful, hurtful, he did it because his heart was righteous. When faced with temptation, what poured out of him but the words of the Father, the words of the Old Testament. When being tried before Pilate, he held his tongue. In his last moments on the cross, what's he cry out? Forgive them. We sang that today. His blood avails for our sins. Oh, let this ran- don't let this ransom sinner die. Christ's perfect righteousness through his life. All the way to the cross, and then at the cross, he hangs on the tree bearing your sin. And that frees you, not just from condemnation, but it frees you from enslavement to sin. His atoning work gives you power to break the chains that bind your tongue. Break the chains of your heart in which your tongue will express evil. I want to be sure to, that we don't take this and say, okay, it's completely of the Spirit, then I'm not really going to work on my tongue. It says here, I can't do it. So this isn't a relief from self-discipline. <laughs> it's a call to humility and a call to look to Jesus Christ. Faith without works is dead your faith planted in Jesus Christ, now working forward from your heart, out your mouth, in words that are not poisonous, that are not deadly, that are not hazardous to others. Romans 8. We're going through a class in Romans 8, so I keep going there for every illustration. But you know, in that, it talks about being set free from the slavery of sin. Being set free from the deeds of the body. It's all because of the atoning work of Christ. It's all because of our union with Christ and his resurrected power. And then right in the middle of it, he gives you a command. Every day, be about putting to death the deeds of the body. For by doing that, you will live. It takes daily discipline and daily work. And we'll look at some more specifics of that in just a moment. And then he says... Verse 8, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. It is a restless evil. It's a daily battle. It's kind of the idea of, I've heard parents say this about a, one of their children. It seems like every family has one child who they're just like, you know, I, I don't know what's going to come out of his mouth. I, you know, who knows what he's going to do. That kid is trouble. And it's kind of that idea of, you know, Everyone's smiling. Everyone can picture a certain person. Um, maybe that was you. Maybe it still is you. Um, and so 
it's kind of that idea of, oh man, it's a rest, that kid is restless, ornery, whatever. Your tongue is a restless evil. At any moment, it's a daily <laughs> battle. You don't just reach the point where you've mastered it. Now let's move on to something else. No, you're daily putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Otherwise, out of the heart will flow all kinds of iniquity. And it's got devastating effect. And it means your religion is a sham. It's full of deadly poison. Just, I mean, it's lethal. All right, our last point. The tongue is a revealer of spiritual inconsistency. James goes to this theme throughout his book. He talks about a double-minded man, unstable as all his ways in chapter 1. Chapter 4, he returns to the idea of the unstable, double-minded man. He talks about the one who shows partiality, having a mind of loving the mercy of Christ and hating it for others, of viewing yourself to be something when you're nothing, and then treating others terribly. And he goes through this double-minded man all the way, and we see this again here with the tongue. Let's just read verses 9 through the end. It says, With it we bless our Lord and Father. With it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be. Let's stop there just for a second, because first we see... Through this section, he refers to brother a lot. Just so we know, he's talking to people who are believers. It's a battle you still have. And he paints for you what's the highest form of using your tongue. It's worshiping your creator. Praise and worship to God. What's one of the lowest basis form? It's cursing another man made in Christ's image. You would raise yourself above them and think you can throw judgment and cursing upon them. That literally the idea of you would try to condemn them with your language while you praise the God who set you free by his mercy. You know, what's that? And saying, you know, that doesn't just happen. It's revealing spiritual inconsistency of the heart. There's a pride issue. There's a something there and out of the mouth, the world of iniquity, it comes flowing out of the mouth. It's a revealer of spiritual inconsistency in your own life. Verse 10, from the mouth, same mouth come blessing and cursing. He just says, brothers, these things ought not to be so. Then he gives you a couple more illustrations to drive home the point. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. It's just telling you, don't fool yourself. If there's constantly, you know, things flowing from your mouth that shouldn't be. There's something in the heart that shouldn't be there. It's a revealer of spiritual inconsistencies and use it as a means to guard your heart, to check your heart. That example, things have happened in my life that were really hard for me and I felt like I, 
I thought, man, I've gotten over this. I'm not bitter about it. I'm not angry. And then in like a pressure moment, like I lash out. And there's a, a revealer, an index of my heart. that There's still some bitterness there. All it takes is a little squeeze, and I'm ready to you know, go off on someone about this. It ought not to be so. We're always going to battle sin in our hearts. You know, we are free from the enslavement to sin, but we are still bound by mortal bodies. Again, Romans 8. You should be in that class. There's always going to be that need to daily be putting to death the deeds of the body because we're still bound in mortal bodies right now. But we've been set free from the enslavement of it. And that's where and how we exist. And that's why there's this call because there is an ability to put it to death by the power of the Spirit. But it's daily work. And to be of the Spirit is to walk by the Spirit. It ought not to be so that Things of this world come pouring out of your heart continually if you share in that union with Christ. And that's what James is saying here. All right, good. We got through it quick enough. We can look at a few applications specifically now. Just evaluate your own heart and your own life. We all know the tongue is a battle. But too often, even in and sometimes even more so in Christian circles, we hear things like, you know, I'm a straight shooter. I just call it like I see it. You ask my opinion, you got it. And like, more than even that's acceptable, it's like a boast, like, you know, that's a good thing. That I call it like I see it. You deal with it. We're told here that that's not a good thing. That's not acceptable. That you just run at your mouth. In fact, it's deadly and can cause incredible harm, can split churches, split families. That it's not good because it just shows that there is a heart that is evil, that is pouring forth. You think of guarding your heart, guarding your tongue, moving away from the idea that, you know, I, I call it like I see it. That's a good thing. In the age we live in now, when there are so many means of communication. I mean, I even think the church. How does the church communicate with you? We have the bulletins communicate with you. We talk up here all the time, have announcements. We have a blog that we write on. We have Twitter that you can get updates on. We have Facebook. We have sermons online. We have like 10 email accounts for the church. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And most of you, I'm not saying these are bad things. This is the world that we live in. With the social media, most of you have lots of outlets of communication. Listen to some of these Proverbs. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Don't be that person. A fool's lips walk into a fight. His mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin. His lips are a snare to his soul. Proverbs 10, a babbling fool, one whose mouth runs, will come to ruin. Listen to this, comparing someone. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Think of that now in context of, you know, I just say it like it is. 
Do you want to be the person who takes pride in your tongue being like sword thrusts? You craft your words, you say it, and you get your point across, and boom. That's the fool. It does so much harm. Do you want to be the one whose words are soothing? They bring healing, encouragement. Verse Proverbs 29. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. In light of all of our things we were talking about with social media, listen to Proverbs 10.19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. Whoever restrains his lips is prudent, is smart. Listen to these statistics for the social media in 2010. 141 million blogs were active in 2010. 4.5 billion text messages were sent. And 247 billion emails were received. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. I'm not telling you to, you know, that's it, you're off Facebook, no more email account. You know, these are great tools for us, tools for communication. Great things have been done in the spread of the gospel through some of these tools. There's all kinds of resources, good Christian resources now available to people through some of these social media outlets. But here is how it grows. If James is telling us out of the heart, I mean, the tongue is a world of iniquity. It is the conduit which expresses all that sin that can lay dormant in your heart. And now instead of like our face-to-face conversations where we're at least somewhat guarded and people can read our expression, read our tone, now we can do it from our homes where no one's around us and we can say whatever we want to say. So out of the heart, Tongue flows, all kinds of things. Where words are many, transgressions not lacking. So let's just take Facebook for an example. If you find yourself that dishonesty is your problem, a struggle in your heart, now Facebook gives you a platform to create an entire world where you can twist the truth for your benefit. If pride is your problem, Facebook gives you an entire world again where you can elevate yourself and just create this image of you you want to create. Gossip is your problem. Man, you can get info on everybody. If you're one of those Facebook spies that just goes and looks at everybody. And then you can spread the information with whoever you want to spread it with. You know, if anger is your problem, there's all kinds of ways to throw unkindness and insults. If forgiveness is your problem, there's all kinds of ways to hold on to things, to make those comments, to prove your point, to be passive-aggressive. Out of the heart, comes through the mouth, flows all kinds of iniquities. Just because it's done on a social media platform doesn't erase the devastating influence and the devastating harm that it can have. And I would just challenge you to think through these Proverbs, not be one who doesn't seek understanding but only wants to express his opinion. 
Don't take pride in being such a straight shooter that your words are like sword thrusts instead of like medicine to the soul. That's not a edifying, not an exalted position from Scripture. In fact, it means your religion's a sham. It's worthless as you get back to it. So final words. You know, it's always going to be a battle. Your tongue's always going to slip. You're going to say things. But it's a constant battle of your heart. When your tongue slips, don't just say, oh, I'm going to talk less. Oh, I'm going to control my tongue. Address the heart issue. Here's how it's a revealer of the heart. What do you say in pressure, stressful situations? What do you say, I think social media is a good way to measure it when you're alone. You're not really alone. The whole world can read it, but you kind of feel alone. What do you say it with those you're most comfortable with? Like, I react to my wife in a less sanctified way than I'll react to people at church. Full disclosure, if you ever... You know, it's a revealer of the heart. Allow that to reveal the inconsistencies of your heart. Then evaluate the effects of your words. And be someone who, instead of bringing division, brings unity. Let that be your goal. That it's not like your job in your mind to stir the pot and keep things exciting. It's no one's job. Do you seek unity? It's not the sword thrust, it's healing to the soul. Not making another point that makes a big wound in somebody. That it's kindness that flows from your mouth. Not fighting, not words of war. So look at those instances. What are you saying in the stress when you're alone with those people you're closest for? What is the outcome? Make sure that the desired outcome are peaceful and God-honoring things. I'm not saying there's no place for confrontation or there's no place for, you know, I'm not telling you not to use your tongue and to be softies. That's normally not our problem. Normally our problem is we don't control our tongue. And then finally... So how do we change our hearts? You know, it is by the Spirit. The Spirit gives us tools. It's the Word of God. Give yourself to the Word. Be at services. Listen to the Word. Submit to it. Listen to it. Be doers of the Word. Give yourself to it privately. Fill your heart with the Word. With good songs, song lyrics that are going to stay in your mind and in your heart and minister to you. Good books. Books that are going to take things and practically explain them. Edifying conversations. Surrounding yourselves with brothers and sisters in Christ who will speak edifying things to you, encourage you in the Word. That are just encouraging to your soul and aren't always just ripping your heart down full of gossip and mean things and spitefulness or anything. There are ways God gives us. (laughs) And then look to Christ, the author, the perfecter of your faith. His atoning work sets you free, can turn your heart free. Your tongue can flow forth with influential things that are great for the kingdom of God and not destructive. You've got to fill your heart with the word of God. Fill your heart with those things. 
So let's never think that uh, the tongue, you know, I'm a godly person, but I just, whatever, that's just my weakness. No, it's just a revealer of the heart, and it can do great damage. It needs to be central in our focus for authentic Christian living. All right? Let's have a word of prayer and we'll be done. God, we praise you for your goodness and kindness to us. We love you. Lord, we thank you for the Spirit, which gives us union with Christ which sets us free from condemnation. No condemnation. The false word I speak does not condemn my soul because Jesus Christ died for it. Lord, it sets us free from the enslavement of sin, which means we are now free to daily work out our own salvation in order to put to death the deeds of the flesh by and in the power of the Spirit alone. Lord, help us to be people who desire the outcome of our words, not to be harm, not to be the sword thrust, but that the outcome of our words would be peace, would be healing. Even in words that confront, that challenge, that our goal would still be peace and healing. We would honor you. Lord, transform our hearts. By that, transform our language. Lord, that we would continue to worship you with one voice but not be those who turn around and curse one another. God, we love you. Pray that we will strengthen us for this week ahead. We thank you for Jesus Christ and, again, his atoning work, which is the greatest prize of all that makes all of this able and possible in our lives. It's in Jesus Christ, our risen Savior's name, that we pray. Amen.